major criteria I have for inviting people to share conversation with me on this, the Big Picture Social Emotional Learning Podcast, is that they have rich experience and creative insights into an essential dimension of social emotional learning. Even if, from others' point of view, their focus area is not immediately associated with social emotional learning. Hello. My name is Mimi White, and I am so glad you're here to experience the simple yet uncommon and profound wisdom of Ruth Wilson, Ph.D. Ruth currently devotes most of her time to writing and consulting on issues relating to young children and nature. And with 30 years as a dedicated classroom teacher and as a teacher educator, Ruth has the big-hearted, gentle authority to more than qualify for her current responsibilities. I fully trust that you will appreciate Ruth's far-reaching wisdom during our conversation and how she links uh, children's relationship with nature and their social-emotional learning and life skills development. Be sure to listen to, this epi- to listen to this episode all the way through to get info about valuable resources. And thank you for being here. Hello, Nini. Hello, Ruth. Oh, I'm so glad to be connected with you and have this conversation. Thank you, thank you. My delight. <laughs> um, so... I I read this article that you wrote in Exchange Magazine, and mm, I just was so inspired by it because your years and decades of experience and your insights are way above the normal uh, standard model of educating children. And this is what I want to talk about with you today, where you take education about the environment and make it personally relevant to the kids. Would you like to talk? Uh, Yes, but I'd like to start with a short story. It goes back many years when I first started working in environmental education. Um, My thought at the time was pulling together environmental education and early childhood education. I could Uh see so many overlaps with the hands-on, the importance of the firsthand experiences, the sensory experiences. Both of those are in environmental ed and early childhood ed. So Mm -hmm. I was working with a few other um, faculty members, and we asked young children about the environment, about their views of the environment. So we were asking this one little girl, she was probably about four years old, um, what do you think about nature? Do you like nature? And her response startled us. She said, I've never been to nature. And that to me was a, a really enlightening moment when I realized Um, Many children uh, feel nature is something out there. Mm -hmm. Many adults working in environmental education present nature as something separate from self. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking there 
has to be another aspect that we look deeper than uh, nature as something to go to, mm-hmm. nature as something that maybe we want to go to, uh, mm-hmm. but that nature is uh, a part of who we are. So the mm-hmm. idea of I've never been to nature, uh, that just um, really doesn't resonate with what uh the reality of the world is and our place in the world. So I still had a lot of work to do in terms of my own understanding. I was working as more of an environmental educator. Today, I work more as an educator for sustainability. And that's a heavy concept if you try to place this in the early childhood realm or working with very young children. Um, because sustainability is not in their vocabulary. Uh, It's not really a concept that they can get the full meaning of. But if we continue presenting nature and allowing children to think of nature as something they need to go to, we're going to be missing what is the, I guess, the real core of our relationship with nature. And that's where that idea of sustainability comes in. Um, The word sustainability doesn't say it, um, but it's really about a relationship. Yeah, yeah. And when you say nature, I was just thinking, or you could call it life. I mean, the whole of life, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, And to realize the uh, idea we're a part of this again going back to young children and their relationship with the natural world of all of life uh, so often we use the term sense of wonder and that children have this natural sense of wonder and that Mm -hmm. that is true the wonder about nature seems very uh, oh, inherent in the way children know the world. But mm-hmm. looking at a tadpole transforming into a minnow, for example, uh, a tadpole turning into a frog, for mm-hmm. example, that's amazing. That is a source of wonder. Mm-hmm. But the greater wonder is that we're a part of this. <laughs> you know, and 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 that to me takes it beyond the environmental education the learning about it's more uh just the learning with that idea it's it's something we have a relationship with all right and then because we have a relationship with that taking care of it uh in other words the sustainability factor is just so much it's not a giant leap. It's just a natural step, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I know yeah. some researchers have referred to that when you get into the sustainability part, it's mm-hmm. the no self. The self kind of, mm-hmm. as an individual self, disappears. Mm-hmm. And because the self is a part of this greater reality. So mm-hmm. it was referred to as the no self. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that concept. Uh, say it a little bit more. I don't think I quite got what you were saying because I thought you were going in a different direction, so I need more clarity. On that. Okay. The yeah. 
concept of of the connectedness, the relationship. It, yes. And and that uh, going back to that sense of wonder that we are a part of, we're not separate from. If right. a little girl was saying, I've never been to nature, that certainly suggests it's something out there, something apart from me. Right. Well, in some of the ways, some authors, researchers are looking at the more sustainability aspect, the self disappears, the individual self. That is the N-O, the no self, because it's the realization we're a part of everything oh. else. Oh, okay. I mean, I love that. That's where I live. But it could, some people could take that as woo-woo or, you know, <laughs> not, not so, okay, but what do we do with this? But big part of me is thinking when you're talking is when people don't have this mindset, then they can, with a clear conscience, just rape and pillage the environment, but they're really doing it to themselves. I mean, that isn't theoretical. That's, that's, that's reality. That's reality. That's absolutely reality. Yes. Yes. Right. And we're seeing, I mean, we're talking, having a conversation right at the uh, first couple of months of COVID uh, right. stay in place. And we're seeing the planet is starting to have clean air and clean water. The Ganges rivers is flowing clear now, which is like, right. no one could have imagined that. Right. So, so, what would you like to say about the proof that we're getting that we and nature really are one? What would you, I mean, well, about it, the proof? <laughs> well, it goes back to that idea of an ecosystem that everything, every living thing and every part of the habitat of living things, it's all connected. What the behavior of one, the actions of one part, one individual, it affects the rest. So yeah. yes, if we're driving less, we're putting out less pollution, we will have cleaner air. When I think about what, how do you apply this to young children, working yes. with young children, yes. as an environmental educator, I might teach them about a tree and the roots of the tree and how it grows. But if I would be educating for sustainability, mm. I would talk about how that tree is related to everything around it, that nothing exists in isolation. So that is another difference. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say environmental educators don't do that. But yeah. I'm saying what if you're really educating for sustainability, you do take that next step, that nothing lives in isolation from each other. So give us a little mini lesson on that tree now that, <laughs> that early educators could take. I mean, okay, if, uh, I would, if I would be working with young children right now, if I had a small group of children with me, and we would be near a tree, I would indeed ask them, what do you see when you look at the tree? And of course, they would talk about the leaves or pine needles or pine cones. They would probably talk about the bark and they may even want to feel it. But as we talk and look more closely, we would see perhaps, oh, there's a little spider web connecting some of the pine needles on this tree. Oh, there's a bird nest way up in the tree. So the tree becomes more than, than itself. It becomes the home, 
of other creatures. And if we start talking about the tree as a living thing, well, relating that to ourselves with young children, what do we need to live? We do need water. We do need food. Well, so does the tree. And where does it get it? That again, connects it to the place where it lives and what it gets from that place. So it, it's painting the picture of connectedness. Uh, and that connectedness, we can see it at the physical level, but we can also feel it at the emotional level. And children can do this so naturally yes. if we let them delve a little more deeply into that relationship right and respect their intelligence and their curiosity and and that they are learning machines so what are we going to present for them to learn well the first thing they need of course is the actual experience with yeah. other living thing they need to be outdoors yeah they need they need to be connected Physically, they need to get that sensory input. They need yeah. to know the sounds, the feels, the mm -hmm. taste of mm -hmm. the natural world. Mm -hmm. The so smells. Absolutely. That's one yeah. of the first things they need is that direct contact. Yeah, yeah. And then there are people, um, I'm in Northern California, and uh, I live in a place with lots of trees and nature all around, but maybe 40 miles away, is Oakland, California, that mm -hmm. is, the kids are, they can go, you know, until they're grown up without any contact with nature, unless people purposely go in there. What about those kids that don't get that exposure? What can teachers do who are in the classroom that can't take the kids anywhere? What can they do? What can, how can they help the kids? Well, we start small, that's for sure. You're not going to have yeah. a forest right outside your door. So you can start with a plant. Plants grow in pots. So <laughs> even if you don't have an outdoor planting area, you can plant something in a pot and mm -hmm. help the children observe the growth, help the children observe the magic. You know, it's not just a science lesson. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a lesson that goes deeper than that. Um, so that, that, that sense of, of magic that happens uh, and that touches the heart as well as the mind. Mm -hmm. So putting children in touch with other living things and helping them see that that living thing has certain needs to thrive, so mm -hmm. do we. So that, mm -hmm. that's, that's a, a connection right there, a very emotional connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very beautiful and so important. Um, I and, and just, and again, I have worked with teachers of young children in inner cities with very little contact with what we think of beautiful mm -hmm. nature. Mm -hmm. One school, I was so impressed with both what the teacher did and then how the community responded. She went to a pet store and talked to the owner about the need for children to observe living creatures. Mm -hmm. That pet store donated an aquarium and some fish <laughs> and that pet store came out and they made sure the the fish aquarium was maintained correctly <laughs> so they donated that it was just a teacher saying the children need this can yeah. you help 
Beautiful, beautiful. That's right. And of course they want to do that. Yes, yeah. they do. They do. Yeah. yeah. So there, I think that pulling in the community that explain how much children do need nature and what it does for them. People yeah. are willing to help if they understand that. Yes, of course. And when it's, when it's framed in this uh, big picture about it's not just for this class, it's for their whole mindset for the rest of their lives that they are part of nature. I think that's really important too. And I'm sure that. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. Yes. We plant the seeds of what children will take with them for the rest of their life. As you mentioned, it's the beginning of a mindset right. and we can plant the seeds that will not only be good for child development, but it will be good for the entire planet. Exactly. And yeah. we can only assume that when you and I were children, this, this emphasis was not there which is the only explanation for the mindset that you can just do whatever you want to the earth and it's natural resources to be used and right. made money from. Yeah. Right. Is, I mean, there's a balance with everything. There's a give and take in life. Yes. Yes. But the, yeah, the taking has to be balanced with the giving and the caring and the, the mindfulness. Yeah. Okay, here I go. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I happen to love that word mindful and I think mindful awareness is such a part of the sustainability concept be mindful yes there are natural resources but they're not unlimited there there are natural resources there are things we need in order to uh, survive and thrive but we need to do it in a balanced way as as you mentioned and to understand that concept of common resources it's not just ours as human that's the very human centric way of thinking uh-huh. we need to get beyond that uh-huh. to a much more a much bigger world than human centeredness all the time and children can do that as you mentioned the children are very capable and they they are philosophical thinkers if we give them a chance absolutely yeah absolutely it's good for their development as well as good for the environment. Oh, yeah. Uh, use it or lose it. I Absolutely. Mean. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And you just reminded me of uh, another point that I thought was so important. And I, and I want to make sure that we don't um, just sort of fly over it. This, you emphasize the importance between human-centered uh, relationship to nature and a nature-centered relationship with nature. Um, share your thoughts about that. (laughs) Well, the human centered and some people call it anthropocentric, that Mm -hmm. is really looking at humans as the center. And we are the dominant ones on this earth. And as you mentioned earlier, we feel we have the right to use the resources to make us rich. And we think happy to uh, continue with progress or development with Mm -hmm. no limits. That's the human-centered way of thinking. The natural, nature-centered or biocentric way of thinking says, uh-uh, <laughs> no, humans are cohabitators on this planet. We cohabitate with other living creatures. So we think about our actions and how that affects other living creatures, how it affects ecosystems, how it affects the places where we live. 
So the nature centered one just takes that circle, that uh, circle of concern and stretches it out a little bit further. Yes, the very young child is concerned about me, 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 I want this, I want that. Mm -hmm. But they can very early begin stretching that out a bit, stretching it out to their siblings, their parents, their neighbors, their finally the trees, the, the plants outside, the other living creatures around them. Mm -hmm. They can expand their circle of concern. Without without losing anything, really, it's oh, just oh, they gain they gain so much. Yes, we don't really lose anything by trying to take care of the planet. We no. become we become better. The planet becomes better, but so do we. Exactly. exactly. I like to think of it as um, becoming our best selves, or becoming beautiful people in the sense that we have beautiful actions. Beautiful, yeah. My goal is that we find ways to live beautifully on the planet in a beautiful society with a lot of caring. That's my goal. Mm. <laughs> well, I'll vote for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh. So um, you are associated with the Children and Nature Network. Yes, I have been working with the Children and Nature Network for four years as curator of a research library. Mm -hmm. And the research library uh, has over a thousand summaries of studies, uh, mostly focusing on the value of connecting children with nature. There are also many, many examples of programs that are doing this and the impact mm -hmm. it's having on children and the community. So I highly recommend your listeners go to the Children and Nature Network uh, website, look at the library, and it's very convincing in terms of the evidence. Nature is good for kids, it helps kids be smarter, happier. Um, even do better in school, to mm -hmm. become better learners. Mm -hmm. So yes, that is a wonderful resource. Marvelous. And one of the other benefits I would say is that that sense we all want to belong and yeah. mm -hmm. we want to belong with peers and family and all that, but we want to belong, period. And we all belong on this planet. Yes, yes. Uh, Richard Louv is the one who, the author of The Last Child in the Woods, where mm. he really raised the concern in the public consciousness that children are no longer out there playing in the woods or playing in natural environments. Mm. And he uh, described the condition that uh, then children experience as nature deficit disorder that children mm -hmm. are losing something when they lose this contact, this engagement with the natural world. Well, Richard Louv recently did an interview and he talked about the loneliness epidemic mm -hmm. that we are beginning to sense a loneliness. Mm -hmm. And he does say one way to deal with loneliness is to realize we do belong we belong on this mm -hmm. earth. We belong mm -hmm. in a particular place where we're living. And that mm -hmm. place will help take care of us. But we, in turn, need to help take care of it. Mm -hmm. And that, that increases our sense of belonging. 
the, the taking care increases our sense of belonging. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, well, I will put, uh, I will put your um, network for, I'm sorry. Children and nature network, org. Children and nature.org. Yes. Yes. And I will put that book in there and maybe a couple of other resources that I've come across, but this is so important. I am so grateful. If, if there are other things that you want to share on this podcast, please never, never hesitate. If you want to um, bring up about a certain, Oh, I know that you've also written a book. I, I have. Yes. Yes. Go on. Don't be shy. We need to hear about this. <laughs> uh, well, one that probably is most pertinent to our conversation today, it's called Nature and Young Children. Okay. Uh, so that, that is a book I published. I think it's now in its third edition. Wow. Um, and I published another one called Learning is in Bloom. Okay. And that one is all about uh, how much children learn when they are outdoors, engaged with the natural world. Beautiful. Those are two books, yes. (laughs) Good. People need to know about that. And can they both be found online? Yes, they're they're, they're definitely on Amazon. Okay, wonderful. (sighs) Thank you, Ruth. Oh, you know, you probably notice I enjoy talking about (laughs) children and nature. It's just a very, very important part of my life and my work. So I thank you for asking about it. (laughs) Well, this was wonderful for both of us. And and I I really hope that uh, our listeners uh, follow through on some of the resources you've so generously shared with us. Thank you, Nini. Oh, thank you, Ruth. We'll talk soon, I hope. I hope so, too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Ruth wanted you to be sure to check out the Children and Nature Network. Here's the link. It's um, www.childrenandnature.org. It's in the show's notes. You may also be interested in Ruth's most, uh, most recent book, Learning is in Bloom. One reviewer of the book wrote the following. A fresh look and brilliant primer in early childhood environment education curriculum. We need this book to be infused in our pre-service education of teachers. Dr. Wilson zeroes in on the most pertinent cognitive, dispositional, and skill development approaches. Ones that are positive, that encourage self-discoveries, and build ties with nature as the most effective ways of teaching and learning. Though not directly connected but relevant in some fascinating ways, I recently came across a documentary about a couple that decided to go all in living in harmony with nature. And they actually have weekly tours, which I assume will resume once the coronavirus stay-in-place orders have been lifted. I've got the link for that show in the show's notes as well. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a rating and a review. It really does help us to reach more educators and parents for children's sake. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.